This morning's scripture comes from 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 17. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This is God's word. Lord, we thank you for special effects. Um, and reverb. Father, we give you thanks, and uh, we ask that you would um, help us to understand your word by your grace. Amen. Wow, that was interesting. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, hello. Hi, I'm Nick. Uh, nice to meet you. And so, uh, Nick, what do you do for a living? Um, that tends to be the beginning of uh, first encounters, first impressions with strangers that we meet, right? And one of the f what's the first question that comes to mind that we ask somebody? What do you do? What are you up to? What do you do for a living? What do you make? Where do you work? Um, and, and this question tends to, it tells us a lot about what we value in America, uh, what we think of. Uh, we like pr productivity. We want to see results. We put a premium on success. And so it's natural that one of the most um, important questions, set of questions that we can ask when we meet someone is, what do you do? Um, because a, a person's identity, their sense of worth, in our minds, their value is tied up with what they can produce. And um, when we ask the question, we're thinking, how does your job compare with my, my job, my salary, and what does it tell about our upward mobility? Am I more important than you, or am I less important than you? Uh, we might not vocalize it like that, but would you react, honestly, would you react differently to someone who came up to you, someone that you meet, dressed in a nice business suit, says, I am you know, CEO of X, Y, or Z company. 
Uh, would you respond or, or relate differently to that person than you would with somebody else who says, you know, I flip burgers for a living? Or I work the cash register at Walmart? Um, don't we start to make assumptions about importance and worth on those responses? Sometimes maybe we do. And, and this, this first impression um, situation is just a symptom of a greater problem that we're all part of. Uh, the underbelly of that innocent question, what do you do, is what we're really wanting to know. Are you important and are you worthy of my time? Is there anything incredible about you, anything significant that I should know about before moving on to the other important things that I have to do because I'm so important? Um, and so the thread of, of our American existence is importance, influence, and, and relevance. And if we can boil all of that down into uh, one word, it would be a seven-letter word, and it would be success. Um, is this person successful. Success makes value. We strive all our lives, day after day, for the affirmation from others that we want to hear so badly from parents, uh, from lovers, from bosses, from self. You did it. You finally made it. You were successful. That, kind of, that drives us, wanting that. And, and this value is a shared value that we have with the people that Paul was writing this letter to. Shared value. What does a successful ministry look like? What is a successful life, even? And that's the guiding question before us this morning. Um, we want to be part of something that's successful, that's big, that's moving, that's important. We're waiting to hop on to something that works and that gets results. We want to see results. And so Paul has a few words for us for those of us wondering about this, um, we're a relatively young church, uh, and we're growing, praise the Lord, um, so we're able to reach more people and, and, and have more ministries, have more reach, essentially, be able to help our neighborhoods in more ways. Um, but what is God calling us to value this morning? What is he putting a premium on in terms of importance? What does he weigh as important? And this morning... God wants to teach us what a successful ministry and a successful life in Christ looks like. So there are four things, four keys to a successful ministry that I want to go over from 2 Corinthians 2, um, from this passage. And so here's the first key. Are you ready for it? And where's the reverb when I say that? Are you ready for it? <laughs> we need that. We need that, that back sound thing, that, whatever that was. That was crazy. A successful ministry will lead to anxiety. Ooh, I don't know if you were expecting that one. Um, so Corinth was a prominent city. Uh, it, it, it was known for trade and converts, uh, commer sorry, commerce, uh, where a lot was happening. It was multicultural. It was multi-ethnic. And so the people who lived in the city knew what success looked like. They were among the most successful and influential people in the world. They knew how to get results, grow a business. And so when Christians, these Christians in Corinth looked at a guy like Paul, looked at his ministry, what they saw was a total failure. Um, 
His life was not successful in their minds. These Christians in Corinth, they thought that if God's blessing you, then you shouldn't have any suffering. And if God is giving you success and showing you favor, then you won't have any anxiety. And let's look at what Paul admits at verse 12. He says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, verse 13, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and it went on to Macedonia. And so Paul tells us that a door was opened to preach the gospel while he's in the city called Troas, and he had expected to meet a young minister there named Titus. Titus wasn't there. And so in addition to not meeting Titus, which kind of threw off what he expected to find in Troas when he's there, especially when a, a ministry door opens up, you want to make sure you have help you know, when you're there. On top of that, he's dealing with um, extra pressure and, and some trouble from this church in Corinth that he had previously pr- planted. And so verse 13, he says, my spirit was not at rest. Uh, it could be translated, I found no rest. Or in other words, uh, Paul was experiencing Great anxiety. Uh, he all of a sudden became very restless. Some nights in the middle of the night, I will wake up, my heart is pounding, you know, just racing. And I'll be full of anxiety for many of you, for our church, for our family, for just thinking about the list of things that I could do, should have done for the day, what I have to do this month or whatever. You know, I'll, the whole list, it just runs full of anxiety. And so I get restless. Have you ever been anxious before? Have you woken up in the middle of the night feeling anxious, worried? You're carrying a weight too heavy to bear. So Paul experienced a great level of anxiety. He was affected by Titus being gone. He was troubled by what was going on in Corinth. And such that it changed his plans, and he headed from Troas now to Macedonia. And so here we see the first key. A successful ministry will lead to anxiety. If you're experiencing anxiety or restlessness, uh, that does not mean that God is not leading you or that God has left you. On the contrary, sometimes God leads us into such experiences and difficulties for the sake of the gospel, for open doors to happen. As, as As I was thinking about this, I mean, so many times when I'm experiencing anxiety or, or whatever else befalls me, um, open doors and opportunities happen where you're able to minister to somebody else. As the beginning of, of uh, this letter opened, you know, we're able to comfort, to offer comfort to someone else with the comfort that we even need from God, the God of comfort. Um, and so God opens doors in the middle of our, our own struggles and perceived failures but we tend to, to hold on to this myth, don't we? That, that, that people who are successful never experience distress, anxiety, or depression. We tend to think that if we're doing well, uh, if we're uh, living life on a high, that it's not accompanied by any lows. Yeah, right. Um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, anybody know that name? You know what the rock is cooking, right? Uh, he recently opened up, I, I was reading in an article in the LA Times uh, a little bit ago, and uh, he, he was sharing about his struggle with depression. Um, 
Dwayne the Rock Johnson people. This is like muscle man. This is guy who's like pinky is bigger than both of my biceps put together. And he like crushed me one handed, you know, huge dude. And this tough guy can cry. And the article went viral, I think, because it's so shocking and surprising to a culture that associates success with strength, not weakness. But anxiety is a normal part of life, even in successful places. In the midst of, of restless and anxious moments, the gospel is still true, that we can take comfort in the fact that God is in control and that he cares for us, even in the moments of despair, depression, anxiety, whatever that issue is. And when we're being led by God, he might be leading us through another bout of anxiety or somewhere else that we don't want to go. He might be leading us there. But he's still with us in it, and he's there with us after it. And so a successful ministry will lead to anxiety. That's the first key to a successful ministry. Let's look at the second. The second key. A successful ministry will lead you to your death. Ooh. Christians triumph not through success, but through our suffering. Let's look at verse 14. Paul says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So here we have this imagery of, of a Roman triumphal procession. Now, we don't have anything like this uh, in, our, in our culture to really attach to. Uh, maybe the closest thing is the Summer or Winter Olympics, when everybody's marching out and, you know, everybody's kind of waving their, their, uh, their, their country's flag, and you hear the national anthem, and it's kind of a glorious and glamorous occasion. But even that is not even close to what this is. So this, this Roman custom uh, celebrated the triumph of a general who uh, was a, a war victor, who had victory in, in battle. And, and the Romans would march through the city in a procession, and the captives would follow behind them. And there would be this almost like a cloud of smoke of incense um, that, that, that just filled the skies. All the smell was in the air, and, and sacrifices of bulls were offered. And at the end of the line, when the captives got to the end, uh, they would be executed. And... Uh, even with this triumphant procession, which Paul's bringing up and associating with our experience, we are so driven by and enamored with success that so guides us, that we're so blinded by it, that I think we might be tempted to view Jesus as the warlord general victor and Paul as one of the Roman soldiers. And either we're in the crowds jeering and Cheering, cheering it on, or, or, or we're also part of the, 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 the troops, the victorious troops with the spoils of war. But what we find here is it's the reverse. We're actually the defeated prisoners being paraded around by the world. And so Paul, like Jesus, was led to death as a captive in triumph. And where does God lead us? God leads us to our death, as it was with our crucified Lord. Shame, humiliation, and execution awaits the victims of this triumph. Jesus, like a lamb, was led to slaughter, and we as his followers follow him in a kind of crucifixion every day. 
It's to that that Paul says, but thanks be to God. But thanks be to God. He's, he's thanking God for allowing him to walk the way that Jesus walked. Thank God for spreading the fragrance of the cross everywhere. And we think back to Paul's life, it didn't, it didn't look like a success uh, to the Corinthians. His life looked like failure, as I mentioned before. This is the word of the cross. This is the gospel message that God's power is hidden in suffering and even death. That God hides himself not in the powerful places, but in the low places. And I think we need to see and believe that in the cross, that the cross itself slaughters our idols for success and glory and make us alive, makes us alive by crucifying us with Christ, burying us with him again. Um, does any of this sound crazy to you? <laughs> yeah, Andy. Yeah, oh, it does. Paul gives thanks for God leading him to his death. Because together with Christ, he knows that God will be giving him life in the end. That in the gospel, Paul wants us to know that even though we face anxiety and suffering even unto death, and even though we might face many defeats in our lifetime, that eventually there's victory and there's triumph waiting for us. Because Jesus has triumphed over all earthly powers, he's conquered our sin and even death itself. And so in Jesus, we win. Now, I know that this message, this central message of Christianity, Christianity that's about a cross, a Christ on a cross, is not popular. Our eyes are captivated by success. Performance, power, popularity often guide our daily cho choices in our culture. And so we measure our worth based on our, our production, our output. And so like the Corinthians, we are tempted to substitute the gospel for a cheap imitation and for false hopes of power and pleasure. But the gospel says that God measures our worth not based on our production, but based on his own son's output. And God works not with our success, but with our failures. And so that insatiable desire, that hunger that we crave for affirmation, in the gospel, God says, you already have that affirmation in my son. I already give you my approval. You are approved. One day I hope to take my wife to Italy. Uh, I want to be there to watch her face when she goes to the, the, the country that she came from, you know, to, be, to, to just see that. Um, and... Uh, Maybe we'll go visit Rome and look at the great city that it once was. And, and moments ago I was talking about, you know, this, this great and glorious city that had these great marches with incense and sacrifices and, and this great empire that just expanded and was so powerful. But what happened to this great civilization? It's been reduced to rubble. Uh, we visit it to get a glimpse of the greatness of its past, but it's really no more. And yet, all around the world, what do we see is present? And what is? Christianity. The gospels flourished through weakness, not power. It was founded by a God-man who marched to his death, and it lives on and will continue to grow 
until the resurrected Lord himself returns. And so we triumph not through our success, but through our suffering, our weakness. But there's a third thing, third key to success that I want us to think about now. Let's look at this third key. A successful ministry will make you stink. (laughs) What do you smell like right now? A successful ministry will make you stink. Okay, let's look at this. Verse 15. Paul says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Verse 16. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. And so Paul continues, he picks up this language of this triumphal Roman procession, now focusing on the smells associated with that procession uh, during this death march. And so strong smells were in the air, they'd they'd fill the air, and played a huge role in the ceremony. And just to give some context to this, what it was like, uh, Horace's odes, uh, he, he writes this, he says, of the citizens offering incense, when Caesar came back to the city, they would sing this aloud. It was a hymn, sort of a battle victory hymn. And they said, Hail God of triumph, all the citizens, and to the kind, I'm sorry, as you lead the way, hail God of triumph. We shall sing once, more than once, hail God of triumph. All the citizens and to the kind gods shall offer our incense. Um, And another Jewish historian named Josephus, uh, he records when Vespasian returned home to Rome that the, 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 the crowds shouted, Savior, to his return, and, and the whole city filled up with incense like it was in the temples. And so, I mean, those are some powerful smells. Kind of like what I smelled last week. I was driving home, and um, somebody else had ran over a skunk. Ooh, yeah, it's the worst. So every time for the next couple days, no matter, no matter what, you could roll the windows up, hurry quick, you turn the AC off, you know, hide your kids, hide your wife, just shut everything down. And, and what came through the, the, our air system? It was that awful smell, that whiff of skunk. Um, that kind of smell is so intrusive and invasive, and odors and smells are like that. When we get a, wh- a whiff, it's overwhelming. Rumor has it... Uh, Uh, boy moms of teenagers that they spray on tons and tons of Axe. Is that true? Um, I grew up with sisters, and I remember walking into the bathroom, and the whole entire bathroom was full of hairspray, and sometimes way too much, like, cheap perfume. Or maybe it was expensive perfume, but it smelled cheap. It was just everywhere. A cloud of stuff. Gross. Um... Yeah, but those smells are strong, and, and, and this imagery that Paul's using here uh, describes anyone uh, who, who believes the gospel that, that such a person um, gives off a very strong odor. And to some, it smells very good. Mm-mm, girl, what's that you're wearing? You smell like Jesus. Mm. I don't recommend that for a pickup line, but I'm going to try it on you tonight. Uh, to others, the this, this smell smells like skunk. Ugh. So to, to one person, that smell smells delightful. It, it attracts. And to another person, that same smell repels them, pushes them away. 
And, and that's because this is a message that smells like death. Jesus was led through procession to his execution on a Roman cross. This triumph was a bloody sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus was the Passover lamb who was, his body was offered up to God as a pleasing aroma, his sacrifice. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, we too are being led in a kind of death march with Jesus, with Paul. And so that gospel message is either, it, it smells really good to you, or it smells terrible. <laughs> it smells really bad. It stinks. And so let me ask straight up, do you see, are your eyes open to the fact that suffering and death, that that message is actually God's gift of glory and life to you? It's a message that says life is at work through death. And I know that we all prefer a, a different, more glamorous, and more glorious message than that. Something more successful, and more influential, and more uplifting. But that's the message of the gospel. That we're captives to the cross of Christ. Thinking about this imagery of smells, this odor. Um, the imagery of smell is so invasive, but it's spot on to describe the power of the gospel in the life of of a Christian. The gospel has the power to renew our entire life. The gospel message of Jesus crucified is emitted in absolutely everything that a Christian does. So if you believe the gospel, everything gets affected by that smell. How you spend your time, where you put your money, how you serve people in the city, how you raise your children, how you relate in marriage, how you give or how you go on missions yourself. All of you, your entire person begins to change with the aroma of Jesus Christ, the smells, what you talk about, what you love, everything begins to change. Sometimes I can wonder, uh, what difference does the gospel make? It's an honest question. Uh, sometimes maybe you're there, or you've been there, you've asked that question yourself, and you've wondered, what difference at all does Christianity make? Okay, sure, Jesus died and he rose again, and um, you know, one day he's coming back, and so now I have fire insurance, great. Maybe you've wondered that. Here, Paul is saying that the gospel makes every bit of difference from the beginning, the very moment that you believe, to the very end of your life, the last minute of your life. The gospel changes everything. So, so when there's conflict, when there's brokenness, a broken relationship, the gospel offers you a way for reconciliation and towards forgiveness with that person. And when you're not sure how to spend your money, the gospel actually fills you up with generosity rather than your stingy, normal self and opens your hands to be giving rather than taking. And when you're filled with anxiety, you can actually be full of hope because of the gospel. And it's a strong fragrance, strong fragrance. This gospel aroma is powerful enough to change you and it can, be, it can begin to renew others around you and even affect the world that we're all a part of. And so that's the third key. And let me, let me tell the fourth key to success, and we'll end with this, the last key. A successful ministry will still not be enough for some. Verse 16b. Who is sufficient for these things? Verse 17. For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. So Paul refers to so many, 
Uh, he's the minority here. Already in his time period, this great apostle, there was a majority, and this majority was in ministry for the money. Their motives and their me methods were focused around success and fame and glory. They were shaped not by the cross, and so a successful ministry will still not be enough for some. To some people, it's not enough to have a relationship with God and want that for other people and want reconciliation between people. Some people will go into this for the wrong reasons. People will peddle the Bible. They'll sell Christianity for a profit. They'll make lots of money off of it. They did it then. They're doing it now. Paul calls this group of people later, he calls them super apostles. In comparison to Paul, Paul is ordinary. Paul is like the Clark Kent you know, but with no superpowers, no Superman underneath, just Clark Kent. Just ordinary. God is not after us having successful, prominent, and influential ministries. He's after us having sincere ministries and living a sincere life before God in Christ. And so a, a life of self-promotion like these super apostles is inauthentic. God wants us to live authentic lives of simplicity and sincerity. We live before God in Christ. And so we're not doing this to please ourselves, but God. The most authentic person who has ever lived was a man who did not come to make a name for himself, but instead gave up himself as a life, as a ransom for many. He gave up his own life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to give up his own name to give us his name, to give up his reputation so that we could have a better reputation in him. And so he lived authentically to die for inauthentic people like us. And so we can live authentically before God and others. And I want to conclude with this. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said this. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. That's my guy. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable... I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Jesus didn't come to make our lives more comfortable, more convenient, happier, or more successful. Jesus came to conform us into the image of himself. And that image, that picture, those smells are to conform us to a cross. True comfort, true happiness, true success, true glory can only be found in the one who made us for himself and our hearts are absolutely anxious and restless until we find our happiness, our success, our worth, our value in him. And so suffering, not success, is the very thing that God uses to make himself known to this world, to a dying world. And Paul's point to wrap this up, is, is that his own suffering before the Corinthians, his own afflictions, his own being led to his death in this great Roman procession as a captive, is the very means by which God chooses to make himself known. Not in strength and power, but in weakness. And so our anxiety, your suffering, even your death, is the means, the vehicle by which Christ is making himself known to this world. There might be some people here, a few people, who have been very repelled by Christianity. Uh, maybe it's never been the message itself. The message sounds great. Self-sacrifice, 
giving, loving people, all that sounds great. It's the people, though, that you have a problem with, Christians. And that's kept you from coming close to God. That there were too many super apostles who were out for your money. Uh, there were too many fake imitations. There were too many people promoting themselves rather than the gospel itself. And if that's keeping you away, I hope that you'll reconsider. I hope that today you will reconsider what success really looks like. And that you're invited to, to re-examine and, and look at that with me. And I, and I ask everyone here, um, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, does the gospel attract you, does the cross attract you, or does it repel you? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word this morning. We thank you that... Um, We thank you for the cross of Jesus. Uh, We thank you that you have turned this entire world upside down by what you have done in your son. That the keys to success don't lie in power, but in a savior who gave himself up for us. So we ask that you would shape us, that you would shape our own values, you'd shape our own hearts, you'd shape our minds, our attitudes, how we live each day according to the cross, according to the victory that we already have in Jesus, and that that would be our true success. Because together together with him we have died, and together with him we will rise. So that's our hope today and tomorrow. Would you fill us with that gospel hope, that good news, that we might be the aroma of Christ sharing the knowledge of Jesus' cross, sharing the knowledge of this glorious gospel message to a dying and broken world that can only live by hearing this news. So we thank you, Lord. We ask that you would help us in Christ's name. Amen.